Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art, but it's, uh, how do you say it? Oh my God. I should, go why don't I say it this time? Oh, you should say it. Go on, say it. The show about art that's a work of art in itself. That's it, yes. You do it so well. I know, as you can see, we don't have John here with us again today. But Sorry, we, John. Yeah, we'll give him a call out and a hello. He just can't make it in at the moment. And you're listening to Arts About, which is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here once again with the obtuse and always surprising Mark Stewart and me, Sally Bailey, to uh, talk about whatever this week that we've been interested in. Well. What are you going to talk to us about this week, Mark? Uh, well, another dimension, the show on the McClellan Gallery, which is, um, well, we'll hear about that. Okay. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Camille uh, Paglia ah, again, who's yes, yes, my, yes. my well, great love me- of the time, you, you, and keep you, trying to talk about her, but we'll get I there. I keep shutting you out. You do. You're afraid. <laughs> and um, a little bit about the field and um, those avatars called ABBA. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, good. Well, also on the program this week, we're going to be talking to the fabulous poet, writer and comedian Alan Pentland. He visited us here at Arts About last year when he was the guest artist at the Poets Corner and McRae. This time he's going to tell us a bit about the huge spoken word festival that's on in Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. And we're also going to have a chat with Siobhan Kelly, who's going to tell us about her exhibition called Survey that's on at the Antipodes Gallery and Bookshop in Sorrento. Uh, and she, uh, this, this exhibition is made up of uh, paintings that she did while she was down at a residency at Point, uh, Police Point. Um, so... And on the subject of survey, the NGV is restaging an exhibition it first opened in 1968. It was called The Field, and it was the National Gallery's inaugural exhibition when it opened its brand-new premises in St Kilda Road in, 19, in, as I said, 1968, causing quite a bit of controversy with its new style of contemporary modernism that offended many people and uh, particularly popular figurative painters at the time. Uh, while uh, Sidney Nolan, Boyd and Kemp and others were at the heart of their figurative game, a new guard was appearing and this exhibition marked a turning point in Australian art. Images of explorers and stereotypical narratives of the colonies were replaced by minimalism and flat abstraction and references to contemporary American work. Australia was changing. Uh, and concurrently with that field exhibition that's on there now, what's on level three, is also a- another survey, which gets back to the word, of Robert Hunter, who was one of the artists in the field exhibition, but he um, was most probably most widely known for his white paintings, which uh, offended many casu- uh, casual observers. Uh, he was the youngest artist to participate in the field exhibition, and um, I think we should go along and see it, Mark. We will. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, okay. So third floor, uh, the NGV headquarters, as John likes to call it, until the end of August. I have a special fact alert as well. Oh, ABBA, the Swedish four-piece, who had nine number one hits in the UK between 1974 and 1980, have just announced on Instagram that they've recorded two new songs for a project in which avatars of the band are going to perform. Apparently they all felt that after 35 years it'd be fun to go back into the studio and uh, one of the two new songs that have resulted is called I Still Have Faith in You and it's going to feature in a TV special to air, which will air I think in December and in which the band perform as computer generated avatars. Can you believe that? Well as I said before that um, they've already done a, a show, a touring show, world touring show of Michael Jackson after his death where there was a hologram playing Michael Jackson and they had all the musicians 
Yes, so that there. was last time here. I hadn't mm. quite realised that. So it's been okay, done. Okay, so it has been done before, but anyway, <coughs> I still think it's Well, a difference, I think an avatar and a hologram, are perhaps, I think there's a bit of a, a difficult difference. <laughs> Absolutely there is, because one is projected, a hologram, mm. really, I think, isn't it? Yeah. And an avatar is a computer-generated uh, image on a screen. Mm. Well, isn't a hologram in 3D? A holograms in, in 3D. But yeah. You would imagine the avatar would be, I mean, if they're, they're not doing holograms, they must be doing something which is in 3D. It can't be oh, on screen. Oh, it'll, it'll, it? it'll be three, it'll be, it'll be, no, oh, mm. yeah, okay, maybe. Because you know James Cameron's making four new avatar movies right at this moment. Oh, no, I didn't. Mm. The next one's going to be under sea lip because he's a big uh, deep sea diver. Loves I did, it. In fact, mm. doesn't he go down in one of those tiny yeah, little Yeah, he's got a submarine. Yeah, 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 it's like, yeah. But one that goes down the, thousands down of meters. Down to the Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm, that he was a big one. That. And the films of uh, the, the next one, but he's making four new ones. So wow. Watch out. Avatar. Good heavens. What did you think of Avatar, the first movie? I thought it was good. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, when you've got kids, you go with kids, then yeah. you can just you just get into you don't you don't get yeah. as critical as um you know it's not as bad as going to an exhibition and you know, just yeah. sit there and you have to take it. No, that's right. I do remember actually having to kind of get, uh, get a handle on the 3D glasses in that mm. movie. That was mm. quite tough, wasn't it? It was. But it was a beautiful movie. It was very well made. Well, anyway, um, I just, just in case you had forgotten what ABBA sounds like, I've decided to play an ABBA song today. I'm sorry, Mark. I was happily, yes, I happily <laughs> forgotten. Well, they're still at large, everybody. This is Honey Honey by ABBA. Between May the 17th and June the 3rd, Melbourne is hosting a spoken word and poetry festival of gargantuan proportions. Featuring over 50 poets, the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival includes performances, workshops, open mics and slams, and features nationally and internationally recognised spoken word artists and poets, including Maxine Baniba-Clark and the US slam poet Moody Black. Our next guest and one of the participating poets is an actor, writer and comedian, Alan Pentland. He's been on the show with us before, talking about his writing first up and then the poetry corner in McRae, at which he was a guest poet. Good morning, Alan. Good oh, morning, Sally. Welcome Happy back to, to be here. Yeah, welcome back to Arts About. Ah, oh, terrific. No, great to be here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hey, um, Al, uh, Alan, looking through the website of both the festival and the Melbourne Spoken Word um, website itself, it seems like there is a huge scene in Melbourne flying under the radar of the mainstream. You alluded yeah, look, to... Yeah, sorry. Well, I absolutely agree with it. It's Because I only discovered it myself about two years ago... Uh, and it never ceases to amaze me how, how how many venues there are and how many poets there are and, and how diverse it is. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I was really flabbergasted, to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, the, the, looking through the list of poets, and uh, I have to say, most of them I don't know, but there were 50 poets participating in this in this venue and something like 30 venues across Melbourne where these things are going on all the time. Yeah, and the I mean, the poetry scene's been around for forever, really, uh, and it sort of bubbles along quietly in the background. But right now, it's having a major surge, and I think it's like the time is really right for it. Uh, I mean, it has had in the past, but right, right now, I think it just seems to push a lot of the buttons where people want to hear, they want to tell their stories, and they want to hear these stories that are complex and 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 sometimes you know they're a bit cathartic and and uh, and deep, and sometimes they're funny. But it's it's you know it feels like there's a lot of people who are interested. Certainly, you know people who know about it already. But mm. I, I actually think that it's ready for the wider world. Uh, Alan, hi, it's Mark Stewart talking. <clears throat> hey, Mark. How are you going? 
Good, good. Good. Do you think it's not a case of um, like poets like artists? There's so many of them desperate to get out uh, up there that they'll do anything to be uh, heard or seen. Well, of course they. Uh, you know, it is exactly like that. Poets do want to be heard. I mean, mm. famous artists. You know, why else would you do it? You know, ultimately, I think you want to. Uh, you know, get your ideas across. I mean, these are people with ideas, and you do want to do that. But, but what's good about the festival is that they've decided that. I mean, having been bubbling along, running some quite impressive things, you know, they've sent teams of people to America to perform in the National Slam competition in America. You know, mm. they're, they're quite organised. And mm. now they're saying, well... And they approached Melbourne City Council, I believe, to say, we want to put on a festival. And uh, they weren't quite recognised. And, uh, you know, so they said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's true. They can just get up on stage and, and you, I mean, you don't need a lot of uh, infrastructure to, to listen to a good poem, do you? No, what you really need is that sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit to sort of have the have the bold vision of saying, well, let's do it, let's, let's, do it. let's, let's book the venues, mm. let's take the risk and mm. let's, you know, print the programs. And honestly, there's a team of very hard-working people behind this and some of them really are, you know, like, they've got a good entrepreneurial eye. Yes. I think that's... You don't expect that with poets, really. They're, they're more the inward-looking types. But well, you know, people yeah, the, the um, um, famous French Minister of Culture said that the greatest artists were also the greatest businessmen. And I think if you look at people like T.S. Eliot, um, you realise that, the, you know, that they, they were successful, but they were also quite financially successful as well. So this idea well, of the and, staffing... Andy Warhol, too. You know, oh, well, yeah, I mean, Picasso, Michelangelo, Leonardo, you know, the story goes on. The, you know, we have these, you know, Van Gogh and... Um, Gauguin have given the examples of the starving artists. Neither of them were starving artists either. You know, so, no, it's, it, you know. It, it's totally true. That, I mean, and that's why we know them, because there was somewhere an entrepreneur behind them or with the, them or yes. beside them. Or they were, you know, Picasso, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, clearly, that's why we know. I mean, I'm sure there are many great people we don't know, but, you know... Well, want to hear them. yes, I, I don't know. I mean, is, you know, history seems to be able to go through the you know, and find out those who who may have been sort of left by the wayside. But um, I mean, there's not that many examples, are there? But we'll uh, see. It's, well, it's certainly hard to pin them down yeah. because <laughs> they're a bit invisible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, you know the podcasting world has probably made some significant inroads for the spoken word because look, just looking at uh, the 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 moth and this American life and and people's kind of lapping up this idea, these stories, listening to other people's stories, hearing other people's realities. Well, it has. It's, it's that thing where people realise they love hearing this stuff. It's yeah. you know, thoughtful conversation, interesting conversation, challenging conversation. Yeah. And, and you've got all those podcasts and, and shows like This American Life have enabled that. And I don't think in my case, I know, it, it sort of raised my awareness. I started listening to them thinking, wow, this is great. I would so much rather listen to this than sort of like talk back radio or you know, things like that. Yes. Now, you mentioned just before that, these, that, that it's just sort of recently galvanised in Melbourne, and there must be a team responsible for that. Who are they? Uh, well, Benjamin Solar seems to be the, the figurehead behind all this. He's, he's a young guy, he's only about 30. He's a poet too, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all poets. Uh, and But he's just, he just gets his head around it. He, he, he makes things happen, you know. It, and it reminds me, you know, because I've been around forever and... You know, back in the old comedy You're not that days. Old. Oh, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> what, about 17? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very fit for my age. Very fit. <laughs> but, but I remember the early comedy scene days when that was also, that was an industry. I mean, there was no scene. It, it came from nothing virtually. And it took people like 
John Pinder, I mean, he was the main figure to get it, kick it off in Melbourne, particularly, but also Australia. You know, someone with an entrepreneurial spirit said, hey, there's something happening here. Why don't we build a venue or mm. put on a thing and see if the audience came? And they came. And that's where, that's how the comedy scene started. And, and to me, I get I feel echoes of that with the spoken word scene now. I think, you know, there is, there is something there. And I think people will be interested. Yes. So just um, do people have to pay? Is there a, Do you have to buy tickets or how does it work? Well, it, it varies. Look, the poetry is very diverse. But there are, you know, if you're talking about festival events, I think most of those... Actually, no, no, some of them you don't pay for. You can make a donation. Mm-hmm. Often what they do in the poetry world is because it, it's not a big financial thing. No. You know, people don't make a lot of money out of no. poetry. It's, it's the worst career choice you can make, believe me. Try being but, an artist sometimes. You know, yeah. to go on. <laughs> but they, you know, they subsidise it by they might have raffles or you might make a donation or, you know, if, if, it's, if they're, I, I suppose they mainly pay if they're paying for the venue. If they're getting the venues as part of a bar deal with a hotel where people are, okay. you know, buy drinks and stuff like that, it's free. Okay. Okay. But for some of these festival venues, they're hiring, you know, proper venues, mm. bigger venues, mm. uh, and so yeah, you need to pay just to cover those costs, yeah. basically, okay. and, and a little bit of money to the artist. But mm. nobody's getting rich. Okay. I, I wonder, you, you know, you were talking about the, uh, John Pinder and and how he was the entrepreneur that stepped in and and changed the face of comedy in Australia, really, but certainly in Melbourne. And it's taken. There's been this huge arc, and it has become this enormous juggernaut that has become so completely mainstream it makes me wonder that whether or not the spoken word is the new subversive undercurrent you know like that's the new thing that nobody wants to go into comedy anymore they want you know uh, not if they're well look stretching boundaries uh, that's a difficult one for me so so i I mean i came up to that scene and and i love the comedy scene and, and and did very well out of it but i feel that's how i feel i think it is a huge juggernaut and and it's uh it's, I'm more interested in doing something that's a little bit new where, and I suppose from my point of view, you don't have to have a joke all the time. And I know the comedy scene does that, does that as well, but in, in the poetry scene, there's more leeway. You can be, you can be entertaining, of course, but uh, you don't have to be all the time, mm. and that's what I like about it. And, and to me, it, it feels like, uh, it, it, this might just be my little take on the world, but to me it feels like something that's new and fresh that uh, would you know, substitute for the comedy thing. Yes. Well, your your poem, um, what's the one about no swimming, no dance? Uh, what was that oh, one? the foreshore poem. The yeah. foreshore poem was just a brilliant example of that, where you were being sort of funny, but at the same time you were being quite, um, well, not cynical, but you were really damning of the the um, sort of the nanny state of, of, of Victoria. Yeah. Oh, I, look, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've got to make an idea entertaining. You know, I think that's, Part of the brief for me, mm. unless you, if you want to get out and get and get rich, the real audience, there's got to be something in it for them, and, and and audiences love ideas combined with an interesting, you know, an exciting uh, occasion. I think, and you know, and what what it's a great combination. Mm. Now there are uh, some extraordinary stars uh, performing in here. I know that there are there are some that have come from overseas to perform at the festival. Tell us a couple of highlights. Uh well, the opening night and the closing night are going to be big events. I mean, there's, you know, I don't want to pick favourites in this, but they're, they're big no, events in big venues, and they're the ones that have the, the major stars, Maxine Benemba Clark and, and Moody Black, who are coming from America. Now, I haven't seen Moody Black, but I've certainly read his brief and bio, and I know um, I'm keen to see him. <laughs> I think it's going to be terrific to get, you know, to actually put us up against people who've been doing it forever in a culture where, you 
know, I think hip hop and spoken word and, and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. has been going a lot longer than it has here. Um, really good, but I, on the on the same time, I think I'm really thinking we should have an Australian flavour to what we do. We don't want to become yeah. a, another cultural offshoot of America again. You know, we we want to find. I want to find a voice that is Australian, yeah. and, and in some ways, I you know, it's. Uh, Oh, because we've got a there's a very strong. I mean, going back to the past and the old-fashioned stuff, but you know, there's a strong history in Australia, going back to the Bush poets, you know, and Lawson, Pancho Patterson, and people like that. Some of that stuff's terrific. Oh yeah, and, and you know, and, and that's historic, but it doesn't. But it shows you can have an Australian voice, and it can really ring true. And it's finding a modern Australian voice uh, is, is an exciting challenge for someone like me. Yeah, of course. I guess uh, I guess it's that sort of fallback to fault position of marketing, isn't it? To always think, well, you've got to get uh, you've got to get somebody from overseas to to make uh, people sit up and notice. It's it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. the same. Putting on a festival makes people sit up and notice. That's uh, right. For a start, but yeah, then you bring in a few um, you know names that people go, oh yes, from overseas. But it's all part of the educational process. I mean, this is the this is the sort of the groundbreaking event that they're organising here and but I think once people come and see it and realise that and how diverse and different it is, uh, they'll come like for example I just I was just going through the program myself and I saw they've got one a gig at the um, the Cross Institute, which is that fabulous sort of like pseudo medical bar in in the tucked away down a lane in the city. And it's based on uh, Frankenstein. So it's combining, you know, sort of science science fiction with poetry and stuff and exploring that. And I, I just, I put a tick against that. I thought, oh, hell, I'm going to go along to that because I've got a poem about science I'd love to perform. <laughs> you know, so it's just really interesting, diverse stuff. Well, it sounds really extraordinary. And it runs, the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival runs, I'm not sure how many days it is. I can't add it up quickly enough, but it's between May the 17th and June the, the 3rd. There's yeah. over 35 events that you can look at. It's, and, and I also mentioned very briefly at the top, um, but we haven't really got time to go into it now. There's workshops, there's open mics, so it's possible for people to participate in on all sorts of levels. I would just recommend that everybody should go along to the, um, Melbourne Spoken Word um, and Poetry Festival, that's mswpf.com.au or the melbournespokenword.com website and you can buy tickets and find out a whole lot more about it. I will, of course, put links to it on our Facebook page so that people can hear about it. It does sound really remarkable and I'm rather excited to hear that such a thing is growing at such an exponential rate uh, in Melbourne and congratulations to Benjamin Solo and, of course, all the the poets that are participating. Um, Before we go, Alan, I would like to play... uh, one of your poems that uh, you very generously sent through to me, which is both hilarious and tragic in in the the ways that perhaps the one was that uh, Mark mentioned. It's um, it's called uh, Darwin's Human Race. We heard it at the Macrae uh, Poetry Corner uh, when we were there last time, which was at the end of last year. Um, this is the very clever Alan Pentland with Darwin's Human Race. Thanks for joining us today, Alan. Cheers. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Alan. <laughs> Bye. Our next guest, Siobhan Kelly, spent three weeks as an artist in residence at the Gatekeeper's Cottage located at Police Point in 
point in a pen, during which time she had plenty of time to sit, observe and paint the light, atmosphere and features there. Her next exhibition, Survey, is the result of that residency and is on at Antipodes Gallery and Bookshop in Sorrento between the 18th of May and the 15th of July. Siobhan's notably a landscape painter who works on plein air and has exhibited her images of land and light all over Australia. These days she lives on the Mornington Peninsula and we spoke to her while she was living there a couple of uh, last year um, and this exhibition is an opportunity to see what the residencies enable. Good morning Siobhan, welcome to Arts About. Thank you Sally. Thank you so much for coming on. Siobhan, um, the peninsula and the weather that spins around it is truly magnificent. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's, uh, you beca- what became of your time there. It is. It's so diverse from day to day and even from hour to hour. Um, and, well, especially down at Point Nepean, I think, um, because there's such a narrow strip of land there. So it doesn't really matter which way the wind's blowing, Um you can either be in it or out of it. Uh, and yeah, the changes in the conditions, um, sun setting, sun rises, the colours in the sky down there. And because it's such a vast sky that is uninterrupted by anything, and then you have this huge body of water that is very light reflective as well, it's, um, it's fantastic. At what time of the year were you there? I was there in August. So uh, really, really (laughs) blustery days. (laughs) Um, And then very settled, very beautiful, um, almost spring weather uh, on some occasions and ended up in sort of T-shirts down there. Mm. Um, It's actually, the the amount of light that comes off that water makes it really warm when the sun comes out. Mm. Mm. What is, um, what what was your routine? Because you were there for two weeks, weren't you? Three, yes, three I had three. weeks. Well, yeah. Right. So, and you were there by yourself too, weren't you? I was. I was there uh, during the week by myself, and then on the weekend, um, my husband and two young children came down and kept me company, and which was fantastic because it was like our house. And then, um, so Point Nepean became our backyard. So we did a lot of bike riding and a bit of exploring down there, which was great. And did you not feel the, um, there's a, I felt there's a certain feeling of like it'd been a massacre or something in the area. You go on about I, that all I, the time. I I yeah, I'm not the first person. Um, you and McLeod felt it as well, yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. there's this, there was a sort of darkness in the, in the area. Did you feel that or not? Perhaps not. Oh, look, I didn't particularly, and I don't know why, because um, there's actually an artist book in the um, the cottage itself that every artist adds a little piece to. Mm. And a lot of people have written about their experiences down there and I have spoken to other artists who have had quite freaky, I would call them, yes. um, experiences down oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, well, because you know Point the Pin was a, um, after Ormond, I mean, uh, Elwood, Elwood Beach was the first beach of um, for the um, infected people who came, came yeah, to Australia. Quarantine. Quarantine, oh, yeah, quarantine. Quarantine, sorry. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, uh, that was quarantine, was it? So there must have been a lot of deaths going on there. But it seems to me there was some sort of massacre, Aboriginal massacre. I, I well, there most certainly most would have cert- been there. Do you think yeah. so? Well, yeah. I'm sure that they were not... Um, uh, we have we not heard of any? Mm. No. No, um, no, and like because uh, quarantine during the day even is 
like it's unsettling. I, I would say that it's unsettling. Mm. But um, and I actually, <laughs> when I was down there painting, sort of on sunset or after sunset, I did a lot of chanting to the spirits <laughs> and, <laughs> and thanked them. I did. I have to admit. Um, thanks them for my for allowing me to be there to paint because um, I had read about one of the photographers down there had had an experience of coming through there, he, riding his bike back through there just on dusk, and he said the hairs on the back of his neck all just stood up, and he had this really foreboding feeling. Mm. And I read that the night before I was going to go down there. So that, yes, (laughs) that unsettled me as well. So I did a lot of chanting and thanking and being grateful while I was painting at dusk. Okay. But I, um, I didn't, I personally didn't experience anything strange or untoward, but I have heard that people down there have. have. I guess it's just how you interpret the sort of magnificence of this spot and, and there is, there is that feeling. I always felt that in Australia there's that feeling of agoraphobia, that the, the countries, you know, we've not really, um, the country hasn't really accepted us yet. And so we're, no. we're, we're living on the surface. And so there's this aspect in all Australians of not really belonging yet. I think it's going to take yeah. a long time. Well, except for the Aboriginals, of course. Yes, well, yes exactly. It's just the new ones. Um, it's not in our DNA yet, no. the, the great outdoors. Do you love the outdoors, Siobhan? Oh, I do. I yeah. do. Um, and... I love uninterrupted. I love a horizon line that is dead straight, <laughs> mm. and I love the. Um, I love looking at the colours in the sky, and then the colours um, either in the ground or you know fields or across the water. Um, and I love going for long drives through countryside as a passenger, especially because I'm forever analysing. Colour and and looking at it and going, oh, that's you know this particular colour and that I would paint that with this particular colour. So yeah, I do. Um, even driving my children around, you know, I'm quite enchanted by the sky, and I particularly love the changes that occur um, on dusk and at dawn. Mm. Like so, so you, you get you'll be quite very, different colours. Yeah, that's true. You'll be very happy when the self-driving cars come in. Huh? <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> you can be your studio. Huh? You can just go around <laughs> painting. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but it will be. So tell us a little bit about the paintings that you that are in this exhibition now. Did you complete them all while you were down there? Yes, I did, and they were all done on the spot. Um, there might be one or two little touch-ups that I've done coming back, but uh, nothing was. None of those paintings are actually made in the studio, so they're all made um, outside with an easel on the spot. Some of them, depending on the conditions, um, some of them took maybe half an hour. That was a really quick, you know, it was horrible out there. I just wanted to get back into my studio. Yeah. Um, and and also because uh, so those were quite windy, quite rainy days where... Um, Clouds are just moving quite quickly, and and the water movement. So it's a frenetic sort of energy, anyway, that you're catching. Um, it wasn't because the hairs on the back of your neck were standing up. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just actually did paint quite quickly the night I went down and painted down there. Um, and then, then there's days that were very still and calm, and the light, like maybe in the middle of the day, was very even and consistent. 
So those paintings might have taken, you know, up to an hour. Um, I get to a point where I think if I keep going, it's going to be overworked and laboured and you can never pull it back from that point. It's sometimes better just to paint over it and start again. Yes, well, And a lot of times I photograph as I go and when you look back, you think, why didn't I leave it there when it was 10 minutes in? That was perfect. (laughs) Yes, 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 I I, I certainly understand that. Well, that is the great um, difference between the amateur and the professional in a way is actually knowing when to stop, I'm sure. It's it's taken a long time and it's, do you know, because I think you always strive for perfection. Well, I do anyway in my work. And for it to be left, the thing that I like about other landscape painters is that mess that, you know, they can put down a couple of marks and it reads as a landscape. And I think, isn't that marvellous? And then I go and make these tight little photographic images and think that's not what I want mm. to do. But you know, so, those, you know, when they've, they've arrived at that space by doing a whole lot of messy work beforehand, you know. Yes, and that's, uh, that's the thing. Was perfect, a perfect opportunity to do that. So I can see a development from my very first painting I did there to the last one, because I was there for the three weeks. I had nothing else to think about but paint, <laughs> so it was a real luxury, mm. and I could get the messy. I, you know, so I started to um, understand where to, when to stop and to leave all those beautiful marks that normally I would go, oh look at just messy, cover it up. Mm. Do you know that um, Leonardo was still working on the Mona Lisa 20 years after he began it? The, <laughs> it it, that, it no. was it's true. It was beside his bed when he died in, in the south of France. Seriously? Yeah, or in the middle of France. Uh, he never didn't never got rid of it. He was still working on it. So, yeah. Oh, well, for some artists that definitely works. Siobhan, how many paintings of, of, of yours did you complete? put into this exhibition at Antipodes? Oh, that's a good question. I think there's about 21. Oh, so quite so quite a lot. And can yeah. you give our listeners perhaps an idea of a price range? Because, of course, these are beautiful works um, that are of, the, of uh, Point Nepean that perhaps some of our listeners from around here might like to um, purchase. Sure. Um, they start at $150, and that's for a 30 by 30 um, there on canvas. That's a half-hour painting, is it? Sorry? That was a half-hour painting? I'm yes, some of the yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They're actually great, those little ones, and they're really good for the morning and the, um, the dusk right. because you can get that really down fair. really quickly. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I've got a 60 by 80, which I have done actually after the residency, but also um, down, more down Cable Sound. Um and they, I think they're about $450. Well, it's all and then I, very reasonable. Yeah, yes, sorry. and then I have some works on paper that I'm going to sell um, for about $30 unframed. So, well, there yeah. sounds like there's something for everybody there. It sounds beautiful, and I'd love to have a look at them. Um, when is the opening? It's it's Well, it's, you're not doing an opening, are you? Siobhan? I'm not doing an official opening. It opens on the 18th of May. Okay. 18th of May, and it runs through to the 15th of July, right. I think. July. So it's there for a little yes. while. 
Yeah. Uh, a great opportunity to, uh, you know, there's plenty of time for people to get down and have a look. Congratulations. It's wonderful to hear that the residencies are, you know, so exciting when they're down there. I'm slightly <laughs> nervous myself. But anyway, great to talk to you today, Siobhan Kelly. Thank you very much. We'd, um, Thank you, Sally. Lovely to talk to you. Now, listen, because you love the outdoors so much, we're going to go out for a song with a song for you from Paul Kelly, Charlie Owen and the wonderful Kelly girls called Don't Fence Me In. <laughs> See you, Siobhan. <laughs> Thanks, Bye. 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 Well, that didn't appeal to you, obviously, but I do rather like Charlie Owen's gorgeous slide guitar. I like Charlie and his wife. Kylie. Kylie. Friends yes, of the show, both of them. Okay. Uh, Paul Owen I'd never heard of. Paul, Paul uh, Kelly. Paul Kelly, sorry. No, but that's because you've lived out of the yeah. country for so yeah, long. It's He's been, it's, he, he, he is one of Australia's greatest poets. Really? Absolutely, yep. You mean a singer or a poet? Well, he's a singer, but his his work is poetry. Really? Yeah. Up there with Leonard Cohen? Uh, yes, in I many, don't yeah. believe it. Oh. I'll have to look into it. Well, I think you ought to, yes. I, I think for I your will. education, Next you week, need I'm to hear do, about I'll Paul see. Kelly. We'll look and I'll criticise Anyway, <laughs> just a little short story about ABBA. Oh, yes, yes, um, One yes. of my big uh, buyers, of, of um, one of my patrons was um, the Tetra Pak company that uh, you probably have never heard of. They brought in the the carton... Um, cardboard milk cartons. Okay. Oh, Before yes. Before it was all glass, and yes. then suddenly we had cart. We had cardboard. Yes, those, and they those sort of waxed cardboard. Waxed cardboard, exactly, yes. with the fruit juices and yes. the milk. And they made a fortune out of it, and became um, very big art buyers. But they were before that in the sixties and seventies. They were travelling around the world selling their machine, and they came to Australia. The Tetra, the Rousing family, they're called. Some of our listeners will know them. Um, and the Rousing mother was talking to me about when she came to Australia in seventy six or seventy seven. How because they were Swedish, and we said, "Oh, Abba, Abba, Abba!" And she said, "In Sweden, no one ever heard of Abba. They were huge in Australia, yes, in, in England, right. yes. but not so much in France mm. or or Europe." So she was saying, well, "We don't know anything about Abba." <laughs> Isn't that and the Australians were flabbergasted; they couldn't believe that the, you know, here yes. was this huge group, and they were Swedes, and they'd never heard of them. Possibly one of their country's largest exports. <laughs> Probably yes, not one of the best, but anyway. No, but. So, to move on to art and yes. the McClellan Gallery, which mm-hmm. is one oh, of our yes. great sponsors and lovely people, lovely place. So, you went I'm, along to see the... I saw the Laces exhibition, which is, um, I think the cafe and restaurant is actually getting larger than the exhibition space, which is perhaps an oh. indicator of where the success of galleries are, is going these days. Um, anyway, the show is called Another Dimension. Yes, which is, um, um, quoting here, explores the dynamic relationship between form and content Mm -hmm. in contemporary art by positioning sculpture as part of a broader two- or three-dimensional spatial practice. Now, did you understand that? Uh, By by positioning sculpture as a what? A broader two- or three-dimensional practice, spatial practice. Right. the difference it's between sculpture and painting is that painting is two-dimensional, sculpture is three-dimensional, you can yeah. walk around, it stands by itself. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. The exhibition showcases six contemporary artists who, working across and between media, mm-hmm. have creatively ventured into other dimensions. Now, a very good example of creatively venturing in other dimensions is the artist Marion Tubbs, who laid down a bit of old metal, covered it in plastic, put a bit of red cotton thread, or could it have been a Tampax? I don't use Tampax. I don't oh, know, stop Tampax. it. Didn't want to look too closely. In her artist statement, went, artist statement, went on about how it related to the environment, capitalism, colonial sins, but she didn't mention patriarchy, which really disappointed me. Um, and 
we were having to look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just thought, obviously you didn't you know, like that. Well, look, it's yeah. just you know, it's it's the creators who are just putting more junk yeah. onto the floor, and giving an outer statement and trying to make you know, some sort of um, comparison to the environment, and the, it's just wrong. So, yeah, just sometimes work. I think it, they, these dense descriptions descriptions have absolutely nothing to do with the artwork itself. And we're, you know, what we're dealing here is, is with what people call art crap, and it's they go mm -hmm. on and on. You can go on and on. There's a magazine in France called Art Press. That just it's been going for thirty years, just with all this sort of left wing art crap, which is I, I don't know how they managed to keep it going. The artistic version of what we call art wine wank when people go on about the wine. Exactly yes. right. Well, it's you know it's all it's available in all areas. Yes. Okay. Anyway, what it brought me to, back to was you know what's going to be still around. For example, Alan was talking about it. You know, what what is the Australian who what what is it that Australia? Where's the Australian voice? The Australian well the Australian cultural um, artifacts. What are yeah. they? Yeah. It's not the dog and gundaga. It's it's um you know, it's it's perhaps more to do with the with the opera house. Maybe it's architecture which is giving you know the Sydney Harbour Bridge, but as far as poets, it's it is people like. Um, but who did he mention? Lawson and who was a uh, wife-beating wife alcoholic for all you feminists. Right. Um, oh, was he? Ban oh, Lawson, yes. Lawson and, was. And what about um, ban yeah, CJ Dennis? And, yeah. yeah. Banjo Patterson. Uh, there was that other poet who, um, Alexander, what was his name, who um, committed suicide in Brighton in the 20s. I can't remember. Anyway, what, was, what I wanted to talk about is what will resonate in the future, mm. especially after Entropy has done his job. And in in the um, for example in the field of music, I'm sort of going into a few different yes, areas he's, here. Yes, he's, he's, he's ducking and weaving quite I'm a duck, lot, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I had to come up with this, all this this morning. Um, what will be around in a hundred years um, in the field of music? It won't be ABBA. It won't be tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, which should be put into the realm of torture. But if you consider Bach, Mozart, mm. etc., they're still being played every day. Which yes. do you think that's going? You know, and they're you know, up to five hundred years old. And they're still being played a little bit too much in my mind. There should be more um, contemporary classical music played. But what they're saying was that people that, who will be come, still be here in hundred years won't be Elvis, won't be Frank Sinatra because they're just singers. Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and definitely Johnny Farnham. Okay, this is definitely. just Johnny yeah. Farnham. Oh, yeah. yeah, he'll be here forever. <laughs> yeah, he will be actually. <laughs> He'll be just about to do his last goodbye <laughs> tour, I'd say, by then. And then this is only Western music, of course, because you've got people like Um Sum, who was huge mm -hmm. in the 70s in Australia, the Egyptian singer. Oh, she was she wonderful. She was big, wasn't oh, she? And yes. she's boom, completely yeah. forgotten. So just another example of fashion, fashion. Then there's people like Schoenberg and Ligeti, who no one listens to, but Ligeti is just the well, most extraordinary But I composer. do think that, you know, all of these people like Um Kasum and, uh, and Leonard Cohen and Elvis Presley and so on, there will be niches people their, their music will not disappear their music will disappear well well all right so this going into a thousand years or well, no a hundred hundred years, years yeah surely well look at think about that, what was big in the 20s or the jazz music and you know there's not a lot of that around these days it, look we'll see it's when you say around i mean it's not going through the um mainstream media but there will be niches there will uh, be, yeah but i don't yeah. really care so much about niches i'm talking okay. about in the general you know, historical what's, what's, content yeah, what 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 is really like okay so in architecture they're saying that you know, after when when the human race disappears which they have done before 
for example, in Easter Island, um, mm-hmm. Barbados as well, apparently the American Indians disappeared, that, they are, that when nature takes over, the only things which will be left, where all the skyscrapers are gone, will be nuclear. Artifacts. The only thing that's left, Cheops Pyramid, it will be the last thing to go. Oh, it's been here really? since 2,580. Is, is that the Mexican? That's, no, that's the uh, that's Great the Pyramid of G- Giza, Giza, which is the yeah. big one, the first yes. one to be built, which was solid, whereas most of the other pyramids were, were had oh, rubble inside. Of course, that will be the so last thing to leave. Apparently, also because it's in the desert, and there's, yes. you know, there's, so there's not so much nature to take over, but it's just sand, really. And it's the oldest living wonder of the world, and the one which is still intact. The only I wonder, one. What about the Chinese wall? Uh, well, it's not intact. Will it still be there? Maybe, yeah, maybe not. But apparently it's mud brick, a lot of it. So yeah, so that will probably that go. deteriorate. Anyway, it's also, just to finish off, the 50th anniversary of May 68, which was the big uh, revolution in the students in France, in Paris, ah. which was a huge event. What was it called? May 68. It's 68. Yes. May 68. And it was, uh, what was uh, the rebellion? It our was students against capitalism, against all the rest of it. And of course, they all, went, they all went on holiday in July, and that was the end of it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens every year in France. So they, they have all, all their manifestations in May, uh, the demonstrations, and then you know, June, really they're all going on holiday, holiday. so that, that's it. That's over. over. Done that. Hark. Oh, my God. Time for the news, yes. Okay. The Spoken Word and Poetry Festival will be on in a couple of weeks, 17th of May to the 3rd of June. Venues everywhere all over Melbourne. Have a look at them on mswpf.com.au. That's the Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival. Uh, I'll put a link on our Facebook page, of course. I think we should go to a few of those. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, sh- how do you say it? Sh- Siobhan. Siobhan Kelly's exhibition survey will be opening at Antipodes on the same date. What? That's a bookshop gallery. That's on the gallery, same date, yeah, it's the 17th of May. 17th of May. Until, yes. the July, until July the 15th, I think it'll be a very beautiful show. Yeah, I think it will be too. Um, the MPRG has Propaganda, uh, their new exhibition, on until July the 8th. It uh, presents posters from the major 20th century conflicts from the Australian War Memorial Collection. Also worth seeing. I've seen it. It's yes. quite, quite a good Did you have show. a Propaganda? I did have a propaganda. That was me who made that up. I know, I know. <laughs> and there's yes. next door, there's Andrew Hazelwinkle, who's doing a show on um, the football team, Mornington football team that, 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 oh, that came back. That disappeared. Ah. And there's a whole video show and a few artifacts, and apparently he's gone to a lot of effort. So oh. that's in the right-hand side of the gallery. That's opening next Saturday Did as well. Did you see it? Uh, it's not up yet. So oh, it's going not up, up yet. Week. Okay, great. Or it will be by the time people hear this. Uh, on at the McClellan Gallery is an exhibition called Another Dimension, as you may have heard Mark talking about it just before, exploring the dynamic relationship between form and content in contemporary art. Uh, so that's on until the 5th of July. You've mm. already gone down there, so uh, I'd it's probably bet get down there myself soon to have a look. Yes, good luck. The Art Gallery of Ballarat has an exhibition of Eugene Mont-Gerard's sketchbooks and gives a rare opportunity, not only sketchbooks, no. and gives a rare opportunity to trace the evolution of a work from the sketchbook, the final studio, painting, in examples from which include some of Mont-Gerard's best-known and most important paintings. Yes, and in fact, see should go and see I that. went along to a talk during the week and heard Dr. Ruth Pullen, who was the curator of that exhibition, speak, and she was fabulous and gave a wonderful insight into that exhibition and one of the things that she recommended people do if they go along to the exhibition is to take a magnifying glass because the mm. ske- the detail in the sketchbooks are so fabulous that they're really worth pausing she over. S- she didn't say to smoke a joint as well. She didn't say that okay. but 
we could ask her. Okay. Uh, the field is on at the National Gallery's, in, it's the inaugural exhibition. I'll start that again. The field was the National Gallery's inaugural exhibition opening in St Kilda Road in 1968. And that is on at, uh, on the level three, as we mentioned a little bit earlier on in the program, follow, uh, uh, alongside an exhibition of the work of Robert Hunter, who was one of the artists present in that initial exhibition. Uh, he was the youngest artist actually to participate in that. So um, I think we should be going along and having a look at that and talking about that fairly soon. Does that mean he's still alive? He was the youngest. No, he died oh. quite recently. He died a few years ago. Um, if you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About. You can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12 or listen to the podcasts on the station website. We'll be on again same time next week, 11am Sunday. Uh, have a look at our Facebook page to find links to some of the things we've been talking about or things that are coming up. And remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art, but we know what we like. Come back soon, John. <laughs>